Well, good morning and welcome back. I am glad to see you came back this week after last week for those of you who were here. If you weren't, we're in week two of our You Ask For It sermon series where we have taken questions from the audience, gathered those questions, and now we're trying to ask, answer those questions as best we can. And uh, I've learned something about this church. You guys don't ask softball questions, so it's been great. So if you were not here last week, you know that this, or this was the question we took on last week. It says, how do you engage in a calm, patient conversation with another believer you respect who believes the church should fight for LBGTQ rights? All right, so softball to start us off. It's great. It's just great. So I want to remind you that um, along with the, the original question, we are. So if anything I say today sparks something in you or sparks another question, please don't hesitate to pull out your phone, snap a picture of that QR code in front of you, and uh, the other members of the teaching team will come up on stage afterwards again today, and we will do our best to answer your questions off the cuff in real time. Maybe the most terrifying thing we have to do ever, but that's what we're doing. So make sure you submit those. I think it's a great way for us to engage in dialogue when we can't really dialogue in a room this big. But if you were here last week, you remember we broke that first question into two. I kind of said, I think there's a lot going on. And so the question we dove into head on last week is, how is the church supposed to love and value members of the LGBTQ community and not compromise our interpretation of scripture. All right, how are we gonna, how are we gonna dive into that and wrestle with that? So that conversation is not over. It's not like, oh, we talked about it for 25 minutes. We've solved the world's problems. No, we're just beginning and it's gonna be something that each of us has to continue to wrestle with. And I want you to know, we wanna continue to facilitate that conversation. So Monday nights, starting May 8th, from 7 to 9, we'll be gathering in the Highway 456 room over here and talking about the book, Messy Truth. So we've got a couple copies, I think, left at Connection Corner. If we sold out, here's the secret. We're selling them for the same price that Amazon will ship them to your house in 48 hours. So if there's not one out there, get on Amazon and uh, they'll send it to you, and we'll be tackling, we'll be facilitating conversation. I'm not going to be lecturing in that. It'll be a conversation around tables, small group, large group, and we'll take on two chapters a week for six weeks after that. So you can sign up for that at Connection Corner or on the Church Center app. So this week, as we wrestle with that, this week we're tackling the second part of that question, which I think is a little bit more what the question was really getting at is, how do we have hard conversations with people we love and respect about LGBTQ or really any hot topic in a calm and productive way. Now, before we dive into the answer to that question, I want to remind you of the framework we set up last week. You might remember we set up this suspension bridge, right? So there's two green pillars that kind of hold the tension there, but if if those two green pillars were there and you put enough weight in the center of that bridge, without that red cable over the top, those two pillars would collapse in on each other. So that, that red cable pushes down and pulls out, which creates the tension that's, that enables that bridge to stand up. And we talked about that first green pillar is really the answer to two really significant questions. Who created everyone and who died for everyone? 
And you might remember we talked from Genesis about God creating everyone in his image. Jesus going to the cross to die for all of us to offer forgiveness and new life. I believe we missed a key idea as we unpack these two points. And it came in in one of the questions that came in live last week that we didn't get a chance to because of time to answer here. But I want to answer it for you now. And I'm going to warn you, I'm going to answer a couple questions from last week today. They're both like 18-point questions. So they're great questions, but they are long. So here's the first question. So we welcome LGBTQ in to show them the path to God only to get them to stop being LGBTQ, which is a sin. Is it okay to be LGBTQ as long as it's not thought on or acted on? That's the sin. And how can I bring my family to church when it keeps telling my child how they are is a sin? Now, there's obviously a lot of emotion and a lot of things packed into this. And I'm going to do my best to answer it with gentleness and grace. But I'm going to ask the same thing of you as I want to give you. And that is that we assume the best. So, we welcome everyone. LGBTQ, porn addict, adulterer, liar, glutton. If you're not sure what that means, person who overeats. In to introduce them to the God who created them, who loves them, and who wants the absolute best for them. Not to treat anyone as a project. We trust God to transform each one of our lives in ways that only he can. And this transformation makes us more like Jesus. I hope that no one, no one ever walks in this room or turns in online and hears and their takeaway is that their identity is sin. At the very least, our identity is a beautiful, unique creation of a God who loves us enough to die for us, to show us the depth of his love. And at the very best, if we've accepted by faith his offer of love, our identity is as a child of God. And Paul says at the beginning of almost every one of his letters in the New Testament that we are saints set apart with a purpose. But every one of us, including myself, is a saint who sins. None of us are perfect. But Jesus is. And because he was and is, you and I are forgiven. I hope when people come, they hear more about what we as a church are for than what we're against. I hope they walk out of here and they know that this is what we stand for. This is what we want. And finally, yes, involvement in an active and ongoing LGBTQ relationship is sin. Much like having the desire to engage in heterosexual acts outside of marriage is not a sin. The desire is not, the act is. Celibacy is a vital and God-honoring option for many followers of Jesus who identify as LGBTQ. 
Sam Albury is an incredible author and pastor who actually writes on this topic as a celibate member of the LGBTQ community. And if you want to read more about that, I would recommend picking up a book by him. To whoever submitted this question, my hope and my prayer for your kid is that if they walked into this place, they would be met with love, they would experience value and respect, and as a beloved creation of our Heavenly Father, they would be given space to wrestle with God's word and for the Holy Spirit to work in their life. That leads us to that second pillar, right? The first one is these two questions. The second pillar we talked about that creates this tension is these two polar opposite truths is God's design for sexual intimacy. We believe God designed Marriage between one man and one woman and God interacts in that covenant relationship. It's actually one of our core beliefs here at Great Oaks. Jesus supported this assumption and the other, LT, other New Testament writers supported as well. But this pillar brought up a different kind of question. So here it is. Again, maybe even longer than the first one. Hebrews states that Christians are to be foreigners in our own land. Does this mean that we're called to stand out against cultural norms to hold to biblical truths? Do you think the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah started to accept the sins of its citizens as normal? The greatest commandment is to love, no doubt. I believe Christians should love all people without judgment. How do we reconcile the difference between worldly views that are popular in the media and biblical truths, and how do we proclaim we don't agree with them, but it's okay? All right, again, no simple questions. You guys don't like tee one up on a softball here. I think the author of Hebrews is not actually addressing how we engage with culture. His whole purpose in Hebrews 11 is that we keep our eyes fixed on a future hope yet to come. And that we remember that this world is temporary and we're headed to an eternal home. And I think that's his point in Hebrews as he makes that statement. However, Jesus gets to the answer to that question when he reminds us that we are called to live as light on a hill, shining forth. Christians have to be willing to engage in conversations about what the Bible says on any given topic. However, when we engage... We have to engage with a heart of love, compassion, gentleness, and grace. Our role is to provide information, to offer thought-provoking questions, not to demand biblical alignment to truth. My guess is, as you think about your own growth journey, no one demanded that you agree to all these things. We do this by obeying the second commandment, which is to love people. And by obeying Jesus' command to go and make disciples, we call that the Great Commission. So what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? All right, let's get to that quickly here. Um, in regards to Sodom, I think Jude 1.7 gives us the answer. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of of sexual immorality. 
We want to make Sodom and Gomorrah all about the LGBTQ. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says it was filled with all kinds of sexual immorality. And if you remember or you know your Bible, when Abraham goes to this town, he pleads with God not to destroy it. And he keeps reducing the number of righteous people who have to be found in that town until he gets all the way down to 10. And God looks at Abraham and he says, Abraham, I can't even find 10 people who are following my law. I don't think God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah because he was so angry. He destroys it because there's no influence left. There's no one there to teach them about who God is. The church is left. We have to sit in this tension and hold this tension. And if you're like, well, that still seems like an angry God to me, come back for week six. That's our topic on week six is why is, God, why is the God in the Old Testament so angry? All right? So that's coming. We won't go there now. The last part of this question, though, I think is a fantastic lead-in for us today. How do we engage in those conversations? We have to separate ideas from people. We all, maybe not you, I'll talk about myself. I spend way too much time on social media. Maybe you spend too much time watching your favorite news network, or maybe we do both. But we get influenced by these ideas. Do you know this idea is out there? Who do you know personally in the LGBTQ community that you could call up and be like, hey, I heard this thing. Can we talk about it? Or if you want to pull away from that hot topic, maybe you vote Republican. And you'd be like, hey, I heard the Democrats want this. Could we talk about that? Because I, I know that you've said before you're Democratic. Or maybe you're a Democrat and you can be like, I heard on news today that all the Republicans want this. And I know that you're my friend and you're a Republican. And so can we talk about that? We have to divorce these big ideas from the individuals we know and then begin to engage in the conversation. Caleb Kaltenbach in Messy Truth says, treating people well begins with two things, getting to know them and walking alongside of them. Acknowledgement validates others' experiences and notices their pain. It's very similar to or synonymous with empathy. Acknowledgement allows us to step into their lives and love them in the present moment. Understanding where people are who they are, and even the distinction of how people experience, think about, relate to, or identify with sexuality helps us acknowledge their reality and love them where they are. And love them. That's the red cord that goes across the bridge. That's what holds the two green pillars in place. That's what pushes them down and pulls them out and creates the tension is this command to love. Jesus told his disciples, John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. How are we doing? How are we doing at showing the world we're followers of Jesus? Last week, we moved from this bridge illustration into this question, how do we create a space where this tension can grow? 
And you might remember we started to answer that question by saying we have to welcome everyone. Everyone has to feel like they can come in, they can hear, they have to have space. And so today we dive into the second half of that question, which I think lands somewhere along this line. We have to acknowledge and love others well by inviting and investing in conversations. We have to acknowledge and love others well by inviting and investing in conversations. In order to unpack what I mean by that statement, if you've got your Bible or your phone, go ahead, pull it out. Open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. And as we read this, I want you to realize something about what's happening as Peter writes these words. The Christians of that day, those who say they're followers of Jesus, are living under an empire that's probably the most antagonistic in all of history towards Christians. Nero, the emperor of that empire, hated Christians. So much so that he would make sport of impaling them on a spear, dipping them in hot tar, setting them on fire, and using them to light his backyard for his barbecue when he invited his friends over. And it's into that environment that Peter writes these words about how Christians should live in that culture. He says this, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face upon those who do evil. Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must ask Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. There's a ton in this passage. We could spend months on this portion of scripture. I want to boil it down into three instructions I think Peter gives us about how we have these types of conversations. First, I think Peter says, character counts. He tells us not to speak evil or lies, to keep a clear conscience. So as we begin to engage in conversations with members or allies of the LGBTQ community, or people who disagree with us on politics, or just when you're going over to your in-laws for dinner and you know it's going to get tense because you have disagreements. We have to first pause and look inside our own heart. 
and ask, what's going on inside me as I have this conversation? How we treat people is a huge part of our character. And others are watching. Do we hold other people to a higher level of expectation than we hold ourselves? Are we humble and open to hearing and learning different views? If someone's going to disagree with us, how do they perceive we're going to respond to that disagreement? Are we willing to say, I don't know, if they bring up a question we don't actually know the answer to? If we say, I don't know, will we actually do the research to come back to them with a verse or a story from Scripture that says, hey, I think this ties to the point, or are we just content to be like, well, the Bible said so? Do we stick to the facts, to our experiences, and to the truth of Scripture, or do we add to any of those? Jesus is pretty clear when it comes to these kind of conversations. He reminds us to take the log out of our own eye before we go and call out the speck in somebody else's. It speaks to our character. It also speaks to integrity. Do we live the way we say we believe? Do our words match our actions? Maybe the Apostle Paul provides a better example for us in this than anybody we can think of. Listen to his words in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common good with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Now let's look at Paul's life. Did he actually live out those words? Well, without going super in-depth and keeping you here all day, I can think about Paul in Athens, who walks around the city and realizes there's an altar to an unknown God. And so instead of immediately declaring Jesus to them, he invites them into a conversation about the God they don't know. I see you have an an altar to an unknown God. Can I tell you who that unknown God is? Paul's the one who says, I'm going to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to those non-Jewish people, the people who don't believe. I think they need to hear the same truth that, I, that, that the Jewish people get to hear. I'm going to be the one to go tell them. Paul's the same guy who when Timothy is going to go minister to the Jews, he circumcises him. And you're like, wait, I just thought you said Gentiles, not circumcision. Paul took this tension in himself. And he lives out what he taught. Why? Because he thought the gospel was worth it. Does the way we live and treat others invite them to make accusations about our character? Or does it silence our critics? Two, I think Peter says, be prepared. 
Be prepared to give a reason. And a, a reason for the hope you have. We love that part, right? We've all memorized that. Oh yeah, be, give a reason for the hope we've got. I got that memorized. With what? With gentleness and respect. Anybody else ever get in these conversations? Hot topics, start talking about things. You didn't think it was coming. You didn't prepare for it. And before you know it, you are full-fledged in it to win it and you're gonna win the argument. Anybody else make that mistake? Just me? Just the guy up here? Okay, all right. I'll, I'll be alone, right? Our, our frustration becomes a little more air, air evident. I have this vein that pops right here in my head and you just can't hide it. Our sarcasm goes a little too far. And maybe you've walked away from that conversation and you thought in your head, I won. The most damaging thing about winning is we lost the people. How do we keep the relationship? When we are prepared to respond, we don't react. When we prepare, we can begin to imagine how our responses will be heard by them. We can begin to think about how someone might interpret our question and ask it differently. I would argue that in today's culture, how we say what we say matters way more than what we say. Is our tone welcoming? Are we allowing the other person to actually actively engage in the conversation or is this just us giving a lecture? What good questions can we ask? I'd invite each of us this week to think about our tone when we're interacting with others. Do we speak from a place of arrogance and power or a place of humility and love and gentleness? As we prepare, our hearts need to be in a place where we seek to provide words of encouragement that convict with love, that lead to deeper levels of trust and friendship, not words used to tear down or destroy the person we're talking to. When we do this, when we prepare, we're able to keep the end goal in mind. And that goal is gospel transformation, not winning. The goal of these conversations should be that I and the person I'm engaging with are closer to Jesus when we're done having that conversation than we were when we started. And that has to be true for both parties. Lastly, be empathetic. We should sympathize, be tenderhearted, and be humble. Can we be honest for a minute and admit that a lot of our anger and frustration in these conversations comes from a place of fear and a place of assumptions? We're afraid of the influence we might lose in the culture. Or worse yet, the influence we might lose in someone's life that we love. Add to that that we make all kinds of assumptions about people we don't know, whose shoes we've never walked in. Maybe we need to do what I asked you to do in the beginning, and that's learn to assume the best. 
to approach the conversation with humility and understanding. I want to pause for just a second. I want to invite you to dream with me. Imagine a community of people who have experienced unimaginable transformation in their own lives and now want nothing more than to bring hope, healing, and a love to a world that desperately needs it. A group of people proclaiming a message of grace, forgiveness, and mercy because through their risen Savior, they've been offered the exact same. Imagine a church where communion is celebrated not only as, a, as an act of remembering what was done for them, but as a reminder to invite everyone to come and experience the love of a God who died on a cross and walked out of an empty tomb for them. A place where questions can be asked, assumptions can be challenged, and doubts can be worked through. Imagine a place where all are welcome and shown love. I believe a community like that would transform the world around us. And I believe it would be a place that everybody wants to belong. We acknowledge and love others well by inviting and investing in conversations. One last Colton Bach quote for you. Spiritually healthy conversations can lead us to grow in our faith. They're a component of how we encourage one another. We don't follow Jesus alone. Character is crafted in community. There's so much more I wish I had time to say, but I'm way over already. And we'll continue to have this conversation. But for now, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that Great Oaks Community Church would learn to be a place that welcomes everyone. That says anybody can come here. Anybody can have space. I want you to look in your own life. I'm going to look in mine and say, is there any place I need to repent? For the ways my, wounds have, the ways my words have wounded others. I want you to pray for our community. A community that may or may not know the extent of God's love for them. And his desire to be in a relationship with him. And then I want you to pray for the conversations we need to have. For the people we know. For wisdom and humility and grace to lead the way. As we engage in those conversations. Would you pray with me now? Dear Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for the grace and humility that you have shown us. God, grace that we didn't deserve, but you sent your son to show it anyway. And God, I pray that as we think about the people we know who we disagree with on whatever the topic is, God, I pray that you would give us compassion. Give us wisdom to know how best to answer those, those questions and to engage in those conversations in ways that build your kingdom, in ways that show them there's a God who knows them and loves them, and God, in ways that keep the conversation going. All we want is for people to have an opportunity 
to experience your love. Help us do that the best we can by the leading of your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys. Hey. <laughs> Howdy. Got some more questions for us? We have some questions. Again, these are your questions, and thank you for participating. Are you ready? Probably not, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay, so uh, first question. Will the church allow someone that is LGBTQ to serve in the church? All right. You guys, seriously, not one softball. Not one softball. Actually, this is one. So let me, let me just give you a little background. So Chase, Paul, and I make up the majority of the teaching team here on Sunday morning at Great Oaks. Dave adds to that, and we become the executive team. So we're the team that the leadership of the church has said, you guys handle the day-to-day -day operations. You handle ministry. We're going to support, walk beside you, help encourage you. And so we had this conversation about a month ago. Uh, not, not in anticipation of the sermon series whatsoever, but we were like, we should probably have a statement about how this all works. And so we came down and said this. If we know there is active sin, non-repentant active sin, that could be like, I'm addicted to porn and no, I don't want to give it up. Could be like, I'm in an unbiblical heterosexual relationship and no, I'm not giving it up. It could be, I know I overeat. I like four Big Macs at dinner every night, and no, I'm not giving it up. If we know that, you can serve in any area of ministry except anything that has to do with teaching. We would say you could be a door greeter, you could brew coffee, you could be an usher, you could sing, you could work in the nursery. What you couldn't do is you can't lead a kid's town small group where there's teaching involved. You couldn't lead a life group. You couldn't be the person leading our congregation in worship. You can't be the preacher. So that's the way most of you are like, oh, thank goodness we don't have to preach. But that's, that's kind of, everybody's got to draw a line, right? Where are we going to draw that line? And for us, we decided the teaching ministry is what's really important for us. And that's where we're going to draw that line. And I mean, to expound on that, I mean, we made sure when we looked at this, we're not saying that somebody that identifies does not have the gift of teaching. Mm. Absolutely. We're not saying that at all. What we're saying is our core beliefs, which Jason mentioned in his sermon, we have a core belief in what marriage is and the view that God has for marriage. We would not want someone to teach that would not be able to align themselves with that because then they're not being honest themselves or to us, and we would never want to encourage that. Because that would go against our core value of, unassuming authenticity. Yeah. We want you to be real. Mm -hmm. And I do want to say, we're not on a witch hunt. We're not out like looking for like, oh, oh, I saw you, right? That's not our goal. Paul, so you know when, you put the, when you put the serve thing out there, does it say, what is your sin on there somewhere? Yes, of course. We okay, ask cool. I'm, just, I'm no. just curious what if those out there yes. or not. Okay. If I could just add one thing to this, like it's, these, these are hard things yeah. to wrestle through and think through and, and try to figure this out. God, what are you asking us to do? And, and so like trying to figure that piece out. So just to let you know, we're, that answer, it's not like a cavalier, like, of course, like we really wrestled through those kind yeah. of things and what that would look like. Yeah. No awesome. softball? Mm -hmm. um, let me see. <laughs> Let's see. You got like 12 uh, over there. I get, there's a bunch. Sure, yeah. Uh, but I'm looking at time. Yeah, we really probably only have time for one more. Um, so let's go, let's go here. How do you go back and recover a relationship that you won an argument but uh, lost the positive influence? 
Paul, since you're the most brazen member of staff, do you want to ask? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There are people that don't like me. I'm just saying. Um, I was taking it the other way that you've never won the argument. Oh, oh, wow. 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 Okay, Chase is going to lead so, off how you do this. So we're going to live this out right after now. this. Right. Um, so I, I, I think it's just, it's, it's having a posture of humility like Jason mm-hmm. talked about. And it's going back and saying, hey, you know what? Um, I know we had this conversation, but I'm, I'm sorry for the way maybe I handled that or the tone that I had in that, and I, I'm sorry for the way that this conversation hindered our relationship. And what can we do to restore that? What would that look like? Um, I think would be the way that I would probably handle that. Um, I, again, I think it comes with a, a right and contrite heart because you're broken about the relationship be, um, being difficult. So I think that would be the, the first thing that I'd probably do. You know, I know we give Paul a hard time, but, you know, Jason mentioned the exec team. Uh, this is what Paul brings the team. Paul is kind of the heart behind our team. Oh, there's a clap from the wife, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was... <laughs> Thanks, honey. <laughs> um, but with that, I mean, I know probably Jason and I, I make the joke that we've probably run into this more uh, just because of our personalities. You have to own it. Um, I step in it. I mean, but you have to own it. Then you have that conversation. Hey, I'm sorry I came off that way. I did not mean to make you feel that way. And that's on me. Uh, Jason had a quote in his uh, sermon today, and I'm going to mess it up because it's a tongue twister to me about what you say and how you say it, so go ahead and fill that in. How you say what you say is more important than what you say. Yeah. 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 And I think the other piece about that is um, we're responsible for the times we step in it to come back and say, I'm sorry. I'm not responsible for how the other person reacts to that apology. I need to keep saying I'm sorry. I need to keep reaching out. I need to keep leading with love and humility. But if someone never accepts that, that's not on us to bear. That's between them and God to work out. And I don't say that lightly, but we do have to work at this with humility. I want you to know, we have loved your questions. I'm sorry we're only getting to a couple of them each week, but we'll keep coming back and answering. It seems like you enjoy this piece of it, so we're going to keep asking questions for the next four weeks. I I honestly believe it helps us engage in the conversation. It helps you feel like you're an active participant, which means you take some stuff home a little bit deeper. Um, And so it does mean we run long, and sometimes we don't get to hear Dave's incredible music. So I'm sorry. I think we're cutting the last song. But uh, thank you all for being here. Oh, can I add one more thing? If anything that we (laughs) talk, I was on a roll. (laughs) Sorry. I was just going to say, if, if anything that we've been talking about, you know, is hitting with you and, and you want some prayer as well, um, you know, some of the other thing about that whole, like, how do you re- repair a damaged relationship, a lot of times it's going to the Lord in prayer. And so we do have prayer people available today. They'll be on the, uh, in the wings after the service as well. If you've got someone that you need, to, if you've got something you want to lift up in the Lord of Prayer, someone to pray with you, make sure you take advantage of that. Sorry to interrupt. Go no, ahead. no, you're totally fine. Yeah. You're great. I love it. Thanks so much for being here. We can't wait to worship with you again next week. God bless. Have a good week, guys.